Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Believe in Oakland A's podcast. I'm your host, Ben Ross. Thank you so much for joining us this week. A busy week of A's news, and we've got a great guest coming up for you as well. Susan Slusser, the longtime beat writer of the A's for the San Francisco Chronicle. We get in-depth about the team, about some of the recent injuries, uh, about the pitching staff, look ahead to the postseason, a whole lot more coming up in that conversation. And uh, if you're an A's fan, you know that, that Susan is – Big time when it comes to covering this team. She is in the know and she provides some great insight. We uh, we spoke on Sunday, so make sure you stay tuned. That's coming up in a few minutes. Uh, but yeah, as I mentioned, kind of kind of a tough time for the A's from from an injury standpoint. Obviously, the the big news: Matt Chapman out for the year, going to undergo hip surgery. That is that's a brutal loss. I mean, that's that's really it's devastating. He's you don't need me to tell you he's you know, arguably the best defensive player in baseball. He's a two-time reigning platinum glove winner, uh, an all-star last year. I mean, the bat, too. You, you take that bat out of the, the middle of the lineup, it hurts. And then Bob Melvin was talking about some of the intangibles as well and, and the leadership qualities. And, you know, for a young guy, Chappie really is one of the vocal leaders on this team. And so everyone else is going to have to really pitch in and and – you know, you don't replace a guy like that, but everyone else just has to do their job. And uh, hopefully the A's will show that they have enough depth uh, to overcome that loss, but it won't be easy. And then, of course, Chad Pinder also going on the injured list with a hamstring injury. He would be the guy that you figure would replace Chappie at third base. And so that hurts uh, losing Pinder to the IL. The A's do sign Jake Lamb from Arizona, DFA'd by the Diamondbacks just a, a few days ago. He had quite a debut for Oakland. He, he was having a down year at the plate, but uh, in Monday's doubleheader, he, he got the start in game number two, went two for four with a home run, his first home run of the season. So I don't know, sometimes getting traded to the A's seems to seems to reawaken guys' careers, and certainly Oakland is, is hoping for that uh, with Jake Lamb. And then the other injury... Uh, unfortunately, from Monday, we don't know exactly how serious it is yet, but Stephen Piscotty uh, sprained his knee leaping for a try and rob a home run out in right field. And so Piscotty came out of the game in game one of the doubleheader and then sat in game two. So the injury is starting to pile up for the A's just a little bit. Again, they do have a lot of depth, especially um, in the lineup, and, and that's the good news. The other good news is, uh, as of Tuesday morning, Oakland at 30-18, and 18, first place in the AL West. They are in firm control of the division. The magic number to clinch is now down to six. The Astros are six and a half games back at 23-24. and 24. Tell you what, the Astros better, better watch out because they're only a game and a half in front of the Mariners. And, uh, you know, the top two teams in each division get into the playoffs the Mariners have been playing pretty good baseball. I, I still don't think they're going to catch the Astros, but if Houston's not careful, you never know. And the Astros have been struggling really all year long. They've had plenty of their own injury issues as well. So uh, before we get into 
uh, our interview with Susan Slusser from Sunday. I want to tell you about betonline.ag. Folks, the wait is finally over. It's not just baseball. Football is back, too. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still get in on the action at BetOnline. I was thinking about placing a wager or two myself this upcoming weekend. I, I like to wait through week one, see how the teams look. Uh, I don't know. 49ers, tough loss in week one. They're only favored by seven next week against the Jets. Could be a bounce-back opportunity. The Jets, I mean, I think the Jets have stunk for a while now. So uh, I expect big things from the Niners. We'll see if uh, see if I put my money where my mouth is there. Anyway, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, our guest this week needs no introduction, but I'm going to give her one anyway. Susan Slusser, been covering the A's for the San Francisco Chronicle since 1999. She was the first woman to be named president of the Baseball Writers Association of America and in 2019 named the California Sports Writer of the Year along with her Chronicle colleague Ann Killian. Susan Slusser, thank you so much for joining us here on the Believe in Oakland A's podcast. How are you doing? I'm great, Ben. Thanks so much for inviting me. This is fun. Well, we really appreciate you coming on. You know, our first guest last week was Mark Canna, uh, obviously a Cal Bear. So thought it would be only fair to invite a Stanford grad onto the show as well. Yeah, you just need to get Piscotti and Aldretti in after me, and that'll be great. Well, actually, you know, I was disappointed to find out last week that Canna's uh, first choice was Stanford. So we're going to pretend that that wasn't the case and that he was a Cal guy all the way. But yeah, no, he grew up a, a Stanford fan. I did not know that. Oh, man, I wish he'd wound up. I wonder if they just didn't have a spot on the team or what happened. But Yeah, well, we certainly have a lot of A's news to talk about this week. Unfortunately, a lot of it bad news, at least on the injury front. Uh, front and center, Matt Chapman, the all-star third baseman, two-time reigning platinum glove winner over at third out for the season he's un he's going to undergo hip surgery so obviously that is a crushing blow for the a's uh, susan you were able to talk to his agent scott boris and find out some more of the details uh, as far as what the injury is and and maybe what the recovery time is going to be like yeah i talked to scott boris um after the announcement was made by the a's that he was having the surgery because they were a little scanty with details apart from the fact that it was his hip and scott told me it's a pretty simple, straightforward uh, repair. Hips are a little bit like shoulders. There's a lot going on. There are lots of potential variables. And so recovery time can, can be all over the map. But uh, Boris said it's exactly the same procedure that Sean Manaya had on his draft day, which is a, a simple labrum fix. There was no um, impingement, no, uh, no signs of microfractures or cysts or any of the other things that can really be a major complicating factor in, in hip surgery. So. Boris said a 12 to 14 week recovery, 16 weeks, something like that. So back at full strength for next year. And you know, um, the, Ben, the hip surgery now is really uh, extremely good. Like the success rate is excellent. 
you could argue maybe Buster Posey has not come back as well as expected, but he's older certainly than Chapman and obviously playing a position where I think there's a lot more wear and tear on the legs of catcher. So uh, I think the A's feel very good about Chapman being back uh, absolutely full strength and maybe better because I suspect he's been playing with that. We heard last year in the postseason how banged up Chapman was. He said he felt like he didn't have his legs under him all season. So I think this is something he's actually been playing through for quite some time. Well, that certainly would be a, a nice silver lining uh, if the A's could have him back at 100% for the start of next year. So we certainly are hoping for uh, a speedy recovery and a full recovery for Matt Chapman. But we got to talk about the with the playoffs coming up, what it's going to do to the A's hopes this year. I mean, it's, you know, it, as we said, it hurts them on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively. In your opinion, how crushing of a blow is this to the A's World Series hopes? Well, I mean, I don't think you can count them out of making a trip to the World Series because they still have a very good team and a very good pitching staff. That's probably, uh, you know, the number one thing that you're looking for in the postseason. But the defense goes hand in hand with that. And he's their best defender. Uh, the left side with Simeon and Chapman is just uh, horrific. Uh, and you're, you know, no matter who's at third, it's going to be a drop off. I mean, you could argue you could have Nolan Arenado out there and, you know, he'd be right there with Chapman, <laughs> but I, I don't know how much better necessarily. So, yeah. uh, and then Chad Pinder goes down with a hamstring injury. And I think everyone knows the hamstring injury is very tricky. Uh, that could wind up being two weeks or more. Um, so the A's are looking at picking up Jake Lamb, which I believe they're going to do. And uh, he's a good defender. He's not much of a hitter anymore. I think the defense is what the A's really are focused on at third and probably as they should be. So they can get some offense when they put Masella there. Um, Asheen has shown that he can play third base okay. But I think, uh, you know, Nate Orff got called up for at least for a day. I, I think the A's feel like that what they really want is, is that maybe not Chapman style, but at least – as top-notch a third base played as they can get. Right. So defensively, look, there's no replacing Matt Chapman at third base. I mean, the guy seemingly leads the league in defensive runs saved every year. As we mentioned, he's won platinum gloves in each of his two full seasons in the majors. So you just can't replace a guy like that. Uh, offensively, look, he's got a great bat as well. We're not going to downplay that, but I feel like maybe the A's lineup has enough depth where they could potentially withstand that loss. Again, you're not going to replace him, uh, but with the talent, with the other talent they have in their lineup, do you think that maybe they have enough to, to still sort of overcome the loss of Chapman offensively? I think so. I mean, you know, the lineup has been inconsistent all year. They tend to start slow. They finish strong. Um, there's certainly a lot of guys that I would say are underperforming. Listella to me was a real key pickup. Uh, the guy does not strike out. He makes contact. He's now hitting leadoff, which is uh, not an indictment of Marcus Simeon. It's more Bob Melvin wanting to, to spread the lefties out because of the three batter minimum rule. But I like Listella a lot in the leadoff. For the reasons I mentioned, I mean, he yeah. he makes contact, he gets on base, runs a little. Uh, I I think he's uh, such a smart pickup. I, I like that with Chapman in the lineup. I I do think that there will be a drop off, uh, and I think the A's have to find someone else to get hot. Um, Matt Olson had shown some signs of maybe uh, picking up the pace a little bit. You know, the A's have gotten virtually nothing from Chris Davis. 
somebody, you know, probably really ideally a couple of guys mm -hmm. need to start getting hot for the A's. To your point about the A's offense being a little inconsistent this year, you know, I was surprised looking at the stats right now uh, on the active roster. The A's only have two players with an OPS above 800. Robbie Grossman. Oh, did you want to guess? Grossman and Canna. Canna and Grossman. That's my guess. It's Grossman and Sean Murphy. And Murphy, he's who has really, um, you know what, the two rookie catchers are both yes. playing really well. Um, yes. They're both swinging the bat well. They've called good games. Uh, they've got two keepers. I really liked Austin Allen, too, during the regular spring training, during training camp, when he was up a little bit. Um, you know, I think it's he's behind the other two in terms of calling games and being sure. he can hit. Uh, I can't think of a team with three better young catchers. Yeah, they have really been impressive uh, for young guys, both defensively and at the plate. I mean, Sean Murphy, it feels like he is really coming into his own offensively. Uh, this guy has incredible power. How far did he hit that home run the other day? I, I want to say it was like 460 feet. Um, 464, yeah. Just incredible power. I mean, how valuable is it to have a, a young catcher like that who's, you know, really good defensively and is showing that pop and that power at the plate? Yeah, and, and the arm, he's got a cannon for an arm. Yeah. Um, very savvy. Uh, the ace pitcher's... Uh, talked about how he is starting to take charge uh, and really be a leader on the field, which is a tough, you know, he's a rookie. He got some time last year uh, as a September call-up, but mm -hmm. Chris Bassett said, you know, he kind of got in Bassett's face and, and said, you know, here's what we're doing when Bassett strayed a little bit off the game plan and Bassett loved it. Uh, and uh, most, most pitchers, I think, like a catcher who will tell them what's what and take charge. So the fact that he's doing that at such a young age, he frames pitches, blocks pitches, moves great. The only concern, you know, that has ever really been, uh, I've ever heard about him is the durability because he's had knee issues. Mm -hmm. But we haven't seen any signs of that this year. Right. He's, he's really looked good. So, uh, and Heim, like I said, I, I mean, I'm surprised by Heim. I really am. I thought he would be a good backup catcher, but he looks good in regular playing time. Like this is a guy who... You probably want Murphy out there most of the time, but there's not going to be much drop-off when times are there. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the pitching now. And I want to start with the bullpen because, boy, have they been terrific. It's almost like last year never happened, and we're back to 2018 when, you know, this bullpen was arguably the best in baseball and, and truly a strength of this A's team. I guess it's hard to predict how bullpens are going to do year in and year out. I mean, it, it feels like – there's a lot of unpredictability there, more so than than other position groups. And I, th I don't think anyone expected the A's to struggle in the pen the way that they did last year. But, you know, with how with how dominant they've been this season, did you see this sort of resurgence coming? I guess probably should have because the two years ago, I wouldn't have told you that the A's would have a fantastic bullpen. And they did. It was lights out. That was that Brian and Trevino bullpen that was amazing. Uh, then last year coming in, I thought, well, this bullpen is just going to be absolutely unstoppable. And, you know, they stumbled. Really, Liam Hendricks saved everybody's bacon by coming out of nowhere to have an all-star season as a closer when he replaced Trinan. So coming into the season, I probably should have figured, okay, they'll be good this year because, you know, I, I think they're probably question marks. But you're right. You can't project bullpens. It's so hard. You know, usage and the league catches up with guys and et cetera, et cetera. But 
yeah, the, um, I'm not sure I would have guessed particularly that Trevino and Wendelkin would be so effective. Really the last three weeks, both of them have been superb. Uh, last month it was Diekman and McFarland who really carried the bullpen. Uh, and, and Hendricks has just been, to me, he's the team I mean, he's just been, except for the opener, which the A's wind up winning anyway after he blows the save, he's been perfect. So uh, I, like, who wouldn't love the bullpen? And I'm, and I'm leaving out the setup guys who are two of the better veteran relievers in the game and Pete and Gloria. I, I love watching Ismeril Pete pitch so much. The guy is so calm. Nothing rattles him. He is versatile. He will work in any situation. Doesn't care. Uh, absolutely unfazed. He's so good for the rest of the bullpen to see. And I think he's really had an impact, particularly on the younger guys that, you know, you can give up a home run, you can have a bad outing and just, you know, you, as I say, you flush it and then it's not that strong the next time. He's really been good for everybody. Let's get to the starting rotation now. And, you know, I think they've been a little inconsistent this season, uh, better as of late they're, they're through their last couple of turns through the rotation. Um, we'll start with, with Frankie Montas, who, you know, he got off to a really good start this year and then had a string of, of struggles, really bad outings. Uh, you know, he pitched on Sunday against Texas and, and was looking good really until, I guess it was the sixth inning where he gives up the three-run homer. But up until then, he was matching Lance Lynn. And uh, his start before that was pretty good as well. You know, we've seen what he can do. He's another guy with great stuff. Um, I'm wondering how much maybe, you know, some of the back problems that he's had have have contributed to his struggles. I remember he had to be scratched from a start, you know, around a month ago, and that sort of coincided with some of his uh, struggles as far as the numbers go. What are you seeing from him? Do you think that, that Montas has what it takes to get back to being a, a – kind of a top flight starting pitcher for the A's? You know, we, we looked at Montas coming into the season um, thinking, you know, he was a guy who probably would have made the all-star team last year if he hadn't been popped for the performance enhancing um, positive drug test. Um, and you're right. He's been a little bit inconsistent. You've got to think that the back thing uh, did affect him. He also looked like the numbers kind of dipped right around where guys tend to get like a little bit of a dead arm period. And you like, there's just, with that really short training camp coming into a 60 game season, it's very hard to tell like readiness level for, for starters. Like I almost feel like you should throw out this entire season for most starters or certainly that first first month. I mean, it's it's really hard to gauge. And I would throw Sean and I into that group too. And Mike Byers even, Mike Byers is always a slow starter in this year uh, particular. Um, I think that's one of the reasons you're seeing Manaya and Fires have looked a lot better um, but yeah, Montas has been, you know, he's given up a few more home runs, um, but this stuff is so good. What's really going to be interesting, and I don't know if you were going to get to it, and I'm guessing you would, like, I don't know who you would start in game one of a playoff series right now. Um, they've got some very good options, but all of them have been, you know, have had their ups and downs this year. A couple, you know, at the start of the season, you would have said Montas, absolutely no question about it. Um, and probably not Manaya, but right now, you, you know, Manaya's kind of worked his way back into that. And then you got poor Mike Fires, who every year they bypass him for a start of a season, and then they lose. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but Bassett's, Bassett's been absolutely nails all year. I love Bassett. Uh, the guy competes. He's a bulldog. 
Um, you know, he's got a lot of presence out there, uh, and he's been maybe the most consistent guy of the bunch. And Jesus Lizardo has the best stuff of all of them. Like, his stuff is electric. Now, he's a rookie. He's made, he makes some mistakes here and there. Um, you know, he is still learning, but he is a fast learner. And he is, I mean, the stuff is electric. I don't have to tell you that, Ben. I mean, it's, uh, he's as good. People talk about maybe a Johan Santana kind of comparison. And I can see that the body type, the stuff, the delivery, um, so smooth uh, and smart, a savvy, savvy pitcher. So the A's have a really special pitch from Lizardo. But who starts a game one? I don't know. Pick them. Pick a name out of a hat. Yeah, you can really make a good argument for like five guys, which you just did. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess that's a good problem to have if you're the A's. I think they're in a much better place as far as starting pitching goes than they have been in past seasons. Uh, you know, I got to think a lot of it will have to do with how these guys look down the stretch, the final couple weeks of the regular season, who performs well. And I, I would think that will make a, a big difference as far as uh, the decision once the playoffs roll around. I want to get back to Lazardo because, I mean, I think this guy, the sky is the limit. And, you know, I think A's fans have already seen how special he can be. The stuff speaks for itself. I mean, he's only 22 years old. He's a rookie. And the thing that really impresses me, well, a couple of things. Number one, his, his command for a young guy. I feel like you don't see that very much from young pitchers. They tend to be all over the place, even, you know, the highly touted prospects with, with great stuff. But, you know, Lazardo has pinpoint control. The other thing I think what impresses me the most about him is just his demeanor, his, uh, his mental toughness. I mean, nothing seems to phase him. We've seen him get into trouble and get out of trouble, even, you know, when he gives up uh, some runs or makes a, a couple of mistakes, he kind of bounces right back. He's, he just seems to be so confident in his ability. He's, yeah, he's really, he's really determined. He's really focused. Mm -hmm. um, just a little example of kind of what he's like. Um, that was about four or five starts ago. He made an error, it wound up being kind of costly. And he said after that game, I am not going to do that again. And the next game he came back and made a sensational play, you know, potential game saving type sensational play. And he's like, yeah, I had that in the back of my mind. I, you know, I want to take pride in my defense. I want to help myself. And that's the kind of picture I am. And yeah. that's, that's him. He is always looking for ways to improve. He's tinkering with pitches. He's learning. He's talking to guys. He's learned a ton from his Merrill Pete. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he, he's using every resource. I think everybody knows he was working out with fires during the quarantine and they were bouncing mm -hmm. stuff off of each other. So uh, he's so impressive. He really is. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who's a superstar level talent. All right, well, let's turn our attention to the postseason now. And, you know, the A's in great shape in the AL West. Uh, the magic number in single digits, it looks like barring some sort of catastrophe and incredible run by the Astros. The A's should be able to lock up the division and, and claim one of the top three seeds in the, in the American League. But just looking at some of the potential matchups, I mean, boy, the AL is deep. Uh, you look at some of the teams towards the bottom of the playoff picture in the American League. You got the Yankees right there, the Indians, uh, the Blue Jays, possibly even the Astros could match up with the A's in a, if it's a 3-6 matchup. The Astros currently in second place in, in the AL West. So it doesn't feel like there's any easy opponent. I'm just curious if you see maybe a, 
who do you think might be the best matchup out of those teams? Who should A's fans hope to face? And who's a team that you would really like to avoid? It's almost impossible to say because this whole season, the divisions haven't played each other. True. So, yeah. uh, you know, I you can look at the Yankees and go, well, you know, we, we know what happened, say, in the wild card last year. But they've had a lot of injuries. Um, yeah. we, I think we all know that. They, you know, we say that a certainly about a lot of teams. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the Yankees, are, I think, always put a little bit of a scare into everybody because that lineup has – you know, they can score at any time. The A's yeah. found that out last year on the wild card. I suspect yeah. the A's would like to face them. I think they would like to put the memory of that wild card game behind them. I think they'd welcome the challenge. These are all tough teams. I mean, yes. Cleveland, Cleveland, same thing, you know, with yeah. their pitching. They're pitching uh, Cleveland terrific. stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's, uh, it'll, it'll be fun. And, you know, I, I'm sure you know that kind of the scuttlebutt going around is that the first round will be at the home ballpark. They Correct, can't, yes. They can't run all of those series in a bubble because right. there's many you need more ballparks. So right. uh, you'd be looking at a three-game series at the Coliseum, mm -hmm. all the games at the Coliseum, and mm -hmm. then moving to the SoCal bubble, right. um, which I which I like. Uh, and the you know even with no fans, I feel like the Coliseum is still a good home field advantage for the yes. A's. Not just having last ups and stuff like that, but yeah. the ballpark. The ballpark, the foul yeah. ground, they know how it plays, yeah. uh, you know, the comfort level and other teams come in and the comfort level, you know, it's a, you know, it's the Coliseum. It is not a five-star, you know, palace like <laughs> some modern ballparks. Right. Some teams come in and they grumble and they maybe aren't focused necessarily on the right things. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's a little bit of an advantage for the ice. I agree. It's not one of those. Play, not that the ace players don't grumble sometimes. Sure. But even beyond that, I, I do see the Coliseum as uh, a major advantage for the A's. I mean, it is uh, unlike most other ballparks. It, you know, it's big. It's, it's cavernous. It's one of those old school stadiums that we just don't see anymore. Um, and I think the A's are really comfortable playing there. We, you know, we've talked about all the, the foul territory and, and how it plays as a big ballpark, typically at night, all things that, benefit the A's pitching but the A's have seemed to be really comfortable in in, pa in the past few seasons playing at the Coliseum and so I think getting to play that first three game series in Oakland really would be a big advantage yeah that would be fun playoff baseball in the Bay Area I think would be great well I want to ask you a couple of questions about uh, covering this strange baseball season we all know that it's a lot different than normal. I mean, that's, I guess that's just the way the world is right now. Um, but what's it been like for you? I mean, you've covered this team since 1999. How much tougher is it? You know, you, I know you have limited access to the players because of safety protocols. Um, what's it been like for you? Has it been a major adjustment and a lot tougher for you to, to provide coverage? Well, I would say it's been frustrating at times, except for I think we all keep foremost in our mind that we're in the middle of a pandemic. So we understand the safety protocols. I remember um, during spring training when they first started talking about, well, the media is not going to be in the clubhouse anymore. We'll have to talk to you outside the clubhouse and we'll bring guys out. And there was some grumbling, um, you know, among some other writers, including some Bay Area writers. And I thought, well, you know, it's not just that they're keeping the players safe from us. They're keeping us safe. Like right. the clubhouse is actually, we'd probably be more at risk than right. the players would be. So, yeah. you know, I'm absolutely 100% safety first. And I have to say, um, 
the A's have done a phenomenal job of making sure that the media has a very safe working environment. They put all the writers outside right away. Um, we're at individual tables. We're more than six feet away from each other. There's, as we just mentioned, there's tons of space there, so you can really space out. Uh, and they thought of all, you know, every little detail to make us feel, uh, and I appreciate that. But yes, the access is greatly limited. Um, you know, you know, we have 45 minutes typically in the clubhouse before games. Sure. And I'll usually go around and check in with a lot of guys before the game and, and chit chat and find out what's new. And, you know, you wind up getting some news and notes and some helpful items out of that. And you get yeah. to know guys better, which is always helpful. Yeah. Um, and after games, certainly you could talk to anybody you like after a game. And now we're limited, you know, to usually two guys uh, at the most. And a lot of times after a major league game, there's more than two guys you would like to talk to. So yeah. <laughs> uh, it can be frustrating. The A's, uh, like most teams, I have heard some horror stories about some teams in the AL West that you might be able to guess not providing enough players, not doing it in a timely fashion, um, yeah. and really doing a pretty poor job at this when teams really should be, you know, we're all in it together, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, I think the A's have taken the right tack, and they are absolutely doing their best at getting the right people at the right time and, and helping us as much as possible, which uh, that's great. So I can't really complain. I pro I'll probably complain a little bit, but uh, <laughs> yeah. we get it. It's tough. It's a weird, it's a weird, weird, weird season. And as it, long as everybody's safe, that's the main thing. It's weird for everybody. Absolutely. All right. Last question for you. I, I just wanted to ask you about some of the rule changes this year and, and your thoughts on them. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a baseball season, unlike any we've seen before. Uh, you know, from the, the universal DH, I guess that doesn't really affect the A's that much. But, uh, you know, the, the seven-inning double headers that we've been seeing, the new extra innings rules where you have a runner on second base to start the 10th inning and, and then going forward. Curious your thoughts. Curious if there's any of these rules that you like and, and maybe would want to see stick around beyond just this season. Um, on the record, Ben, I yes. hate all of them. Yes. Off the record, I love them. <laughs> so I'm a little split. I mean, I think of myself as sort of a, you know, a baseball traditionalist. Um, yeah. Except for DH. I love the DH. I hate watching pitchers hit. hate yeah. it. So yeah. I've always been very pro-DH. But um, I don't even like the three-bat minimum. Um, mm -hmm. But when you're talking about putting a runner on second, you know, other little league stuff, seven-inning doubleheaders, these are little leagues. This is not Major League Baseball. It yeah. throws off the record book. Um, you know, it's just uh, – I don't care for it, but they are, when you're actually watching a game, Yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty fun. Like the excitement yeah. level is pretty good. <laughs> and when you're on a deadline and when you're working a lot of days in a row, a yeah. seven inning double header is a lot better. But yes, on the record, Ben, yes. I must stress, I hate these rules, even if it's kind of fun. They're fine for this year, but never again. Gotcha. Well, you know, I've got to say, I mean, when I first heard about the the seven inning double headers, I, I thought it was crazy. I mean, I, I thought it was really changing the game completely and you know I know they do that at uh, some lower levels of baseball I've covered college baseball where they'll do seven inning games or even in the minor leagues but I was really not a fan of of the change and I guess I've gotten a little bit used to it I mean <laughs> it's certainly when you're covering a game as you can speak to it's got to be nice to 
to only play 14 innings in a doubleheader instead of 18. That that certainly makes a big difference there. I might be in the minority about the extra innings rules. Uh, the the runner on second base to start the 10th. I I actually don't mind it. Um, you know the way that I look at it. In a normal season, you play 162 games, nine innings. You know, both teams have plenty of opportunities to win it before extra innings. And I mean, I don't feel that strongly one way or the other, but I I feel like I don't hate it as much as uh, a lot of people do. I don't know. Well, I mean, what would the baseball greats of old old say? I mean, sure. it just, you know, I... I I really, I don't like, the A's love it, apparently. They're five, I think, no, I think, an extra That's true. So, as a baseball fan, I enjoy watching it one year. And that's, yeah. that's it. That's, I'm good with it. Well, Susan, thank you so much for coming on the Believe in A's podcast. This was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed talking to you and getting some insight. We look forward to continuing to read you in the San Francisco Chronicle. And hopefully the A's will make a deep run in the postseason. Thanks, Ben. A real pleasure to join you. Great insight from Susan Slusser, longtime beat writer, covering the A's since 1999. We really appreciate her coming on the show this week. You can follow her work on Twitter, at Susan Slusser. I'm sure if you're an A's fan, you probably already are following Susan with all the news that she breaks. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Ben Ross Tweets. Hopefully by the time we talk next week for our next episode, the A's will have already clinched the AL West. Again, the magic number down to six as of Tuesday morning. Thanks for joining us on this edition of the Believe in Oakland A's podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Make sure to download and subscribe anywhere you get your pods. And we will talk to you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.